You are listening to Venture Church Podcast. For more information, visit jointheventure.com or facebook.com slash jointheventure. We hope you enjoy. I'm a coffee drinker. Any coffee drinkers in the house? Yeah, okay, so I know you're awake because you had some coffee this morning. Um, here's the thing, I'd like to make an observation. Um, ordering coffee has gotten too darn complicated. Am I right? Okay, so like, I mean, it used to be that people would just go order coffee, and they might have to make some really hard choices like uh, regular or decaf, right? You might remember the, was it Maxwell House or Folgers days, like, but now you walk into a coffee house, or you go to someone's house, and you're like, I'm not sure what exactly I'm going to get when I, when I order a coffee. I was recently at a coffee house in another city, and I'm standing at the, the menu, and I'm looking, and I'm like, here's me, I, I just, I want, uh, I, I want coffee, I want it in a mug, I want it black, I want it regular, like, and decaf if you don't have regular, I'm fine with that, I'm not going to whine and complain, not make so, some chauvinistic joke about only men should only drink, like, caffeinated coffee, like, I don't care, sometimes it's not caffeinated, it's fine, but I do want coffee, I'm standing in front of this menu, and I'm looking at all the options, I'm like, I don't speak this language, whatever, I think it's French or maybe Italian, but so I go to the counter. Here's the thing. I could understand if, uh, if the language, of, it was all the Italian and all the French and all the crazy words. I could totally understand if the guy behind the counter is like a, a 60-year-old coffee expert from Prague. Like, I'm like, yeah, this guy, he knows coffee, whatever. But it's like a 17-year-old high school girl, you know? And I'm just like, I just want a black coffee. And she's like, um, yeah, I'll have to check with my manager. I don't think we have that anymore. I'm like, no, 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 coffee. Co- it's complicated. And looking at the menu can be overwhelming. And sometimes I just step back and go, what? Ah. It's actually ironic. Studies have shown, I've looked at some recent studies, they're pretty interesting. It's something called the paradox of choice. The paradox of choice, you can Google it. It's an interesting thing. The paradox of choice is this, is that often there are so many options that you just choose nothing. <laughs> You ever try to shop for like toothpaste, cereal? You know, it's like, I, what, where's, where's, uh, where's Cheerios? Like, I don't know. Oh, there's, oh, there's the Cheerios. 19 different Cheerio options. And so the, the paradox of choice is a literal uh, study that people have done to show that when there are too many choices, they just choose nothing. And here's why. Because you get this overwhelm, overwhelming feeling. It, the, the idea is, what if I make the wrong choice? I, I listened to this one uh, TED Talk by the guy who wrote the, the whole concept of Paradox of Choice, and if you never watch TED Talks, there are, most of them are brilliant. Uh, this guy is doing a TED Talk, and he said, once, once I discovered this, I realized it in everywhere that I went, and he said, it used to be that I'd get my favorite pair of jeans, and I'd go and I'd get my favorite pair of jeans, and, and they were uncomfortable, and they were a little bit too big, but it's okay because it's the only option I had. But now, this other day, I tried to go, and it's been like $150 on some designer jeans, and so he walks in, he gets completely, perfectly tailored. He said, it's the most perfect pair of jeans I've ever bought. But the problem was, after he bought them, he walked away and he went, I wonder if there's a better pair. You know, I wonder if I could have had something better. It's a paradox of choice. It's very interesting. Uh, the reason I bring that up, because I, I think that it's something that we, people at church, and that we, people who sometimes struggle with the concept of God, we struggle with this idea of not being able to measure up to the expectations that maybe God has for us. You ever been there? Like, you ever read some of the Bible, and it's like this list of do's and don'ts, and you're like, oh, did it, did it, did it, can't do that, did it. Man, I messed up. I can't measure up. And the problem, I think the same problem exists in our faith, is sometimes the paradox of choice arrives, and we land in this spot where we're like, you know, I can't, I can't measure up, so why even try? If you're here this morning and you've not done church before, or you're here this morning because you're just trying to give church a try again, or you're here this morning because you came with a friend and they're like, you totally got to try out my church, thanks for coming, but I'm wondering if maybe you're feeling that, that little piece of, why even try? 
You know, it's, it's interesting that we land in this place, we're in this, uh, this reality, and the question that I think that we really need to answer is not why even try, but where do I begin? Like today, on this day, in this moment, where can I move forward? We're in this series called Battleground. And uh, Battleground is a study through the book of Ephesians. We're in week four of that. It's a great book. I hope you got a chance to download the, the free online book called, um, called Identity. Uh, or was it called Identity Theft? Identity Theft. It's an e-book, and you can get through our, through our blog. You can find it uh, on jointheventure.com. Uh, but there's a lot of great resources in there. And I hope you've read the book of Ephesians as we've talked through it. And, you know, as I've looked through it, what, what I've noticed is this. The, the, the world we live in is a battleground. Like, there's a lot of things that we compete with. There's a lot of things that come and stress us out. There's a lot of things that, that make us tired. And we fight for it. And a lot of it is spiritual. And so when Paul writes this book to the Ephesian church, there's a city in Ephesus, and he writes them and he says, I've got some things to teach you. And we've kind of taken this whole uh, theme of a battleground to represent the different phases that he's going through. And I think today we land on this battleground. It's kind of the battle of the mind. It's the battle of why even try. It's the battle of can I ever measure up? And Paul doesn't make it any easier for us. <laughs> We're going to get into uh, the book of Ephesians. We're going to be actually looking through uh, chapter 4 and 5. And I say that Paul, I'm going to tie my shoe because it's driving me crazy. And my, and my kids were up here. I'd be like, dude, tie your shoe. I've never done that before while preaching. It's the first. Um, when, uh, when we look at the book of Ephesians, there are some sections that you look at that and you're like, I don't think I can measure up. And I say that Paul doesn't make it any easier for us. But the truth is, when you look through the context of everything he says, we're going to land on something beautiful. Not only do I think, are we going to find out how to deal with all the, the menu of what it seems that God wants from us and expects from us and what we can do as, as people who are trying to seek God. But not also, I think we're going to find this beautiful place to stand at the counter and finally make an order. And finally decide how we're going to step forward and where to begin. We're going to be in the book of Ephesians uh, and, and in chapter 4. Uh, if you've got a Bible with you today, go ahead and turn there. You can open it up on your phone, click it and scroll. Uh, if you don't have a Bible, we've got them that we give away for free. Make sure you grab one before you leave today. We want to make sure everybody's got a readable version of the Bible. It'll also, as always, be on the screen behind me. And we're going to stick right in Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 1. Because what's going to happen is Paul is going to take this time to go over a list of a bunch of do's and don'ts. That menu. In fact, there are 14 what I'm going to call virtues, and twice as many vices that you're going to get through these through chap two chapters, chapter 4 and chapter 5. But I just want to start with just 1 and 2, okay? Let's look at verse 1. First he says this, As a prisoner for the Lord, then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you've received. I want to pause right there because I think you've got to kind of get some context. Um, when Paul was writing this letter, he was actually in prison for his faith. This is one of the letters that as Paul writes it, he's writing to some of the other churches around because he can't get out of his house. He's under house arrest. Uh, if you read through some of the other books like Philippians, you can get a bigger picture of kind of how his living situations are. Sometimes we think he might have actually been chained to guards. He might have just been on house arrest. But whatever the case, he's in this spot and he goes, you know what, I'm in this humble position. But from this place, I'm going to say, you know what, my faith has brought me here in the first place. And I want to encourage you. And so he starts in chapter 4. And I love, I love this sentence. He's like, as a prisoner for the Lord then, that's him, from this place. From this humble position, I want to urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you've received. We'll get back to that verse in a second. And so he starts off with his list of do's and don'ts. And he gets in with this verse 2, which is fairly short, but pretty complicated for those of us who have a hard time with, uh, what, life. He says this, first, be completely humble. Yeah, there you go. I'll just keep going. He says, and gentle, which I can do that. Like, I've played with kittens. Like, yeah, so gentle. He says, be patient. He says, 
bearing with one another in love. Stop. Okay, I said we're going to get through Ephesians 4 and 5 today, but we're only on verse 2, and already I'm overwhelmed. <laughs> I'm standing at the menu, and I'm going, what? For real? Like, you want me to be completely patient, com- completely uh, humble? Seriously, Paul? Se- completely. What about just a little bit humble? What about occasionally humble? What about, like, humble on, like, Tuesdays and Thursdays and every other Saturday? Can we be humble? Okay, but he says completely humble. Then he says, and be gentle, and we could talk about that some more, but I want to go to patient. Patient. I, I know people, I've got friends who are like, oh, is patient a prerequisite for heaven? Oh, because if so, you you might not see me there. Like I can't, I can't. Ha- I have no patience. And if you're, and if you're like me, sometimes you're in moments where patience is just really hard. He says, "Be patient." This last one, he says, "Bearing with one another in love." Let me translate that into English. Get along with each other. Have you ever watched the news? People have a hard time with that. The world would be a great place if it wasn't for all the um, yeah, people. That's the word I was looking for. People. People, I mean, without the people, it would be a great place. They're, they're like the worst part, right? But Paul says, I want you to bear with one another. So that's just the first two verses of Ephesians 4. Now, I'm, I'm intentionally exaggerating this. I'm setting it up because we're going to read through a bunch of these other ones. And I, I want you to b- begin to look at it like I'm standing at the coffee shop. I'm trying to order from this immense menu. And these are the things that if you're new into Christianity or maybe you've been doing it for a while, you approach these verses and you're like, what do I do with all that? So we're just going to jump into verse. Uh, we're going to skip ahead, actually. You could go through a lot. We're going to skip ahead. Chapter 4, verse 31. It'll be on the screen. He says, then get rid of all bitterness and rage and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of man, uh, malice. That might keep some of you from being able to drive anymore, all of these things. All right, verse 32, it says, be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other. Isn't that hard? Just as Christ forgave you. More to add to the list of expectations. We'll jump ahead to Ephesians chapter 5 now. We're going to skip all the way to 3. I'm skipping through because we want to get through the whole two chapters, and there's a lot there. He says this, but among you... There must not be even a hint of sexual immorality or any kind of impurity. Oh, come on. Not even a hint? Just a little bit? A tiny little bit? No, not even a hint. He says, or of greed, because these are improper for God's holy people. Nor should there be obscenity or foolish talk or coarse joking, which are out of place. But rather thanksgiving. So not even like a little dirty joke every now and then. Oh, there goes the internet. (laughs) Verse 5, for of this you can be sure. No immoral, impure, or greedy person. Such a person is an idolater. A person who is worshiping as an idol has any inheritance in the kingdom of God, of Christ and of God. So we've kind of jumped around through these two chapters, but what I wanted to set up for you is this menu. Okay, you with me? It's like, whoa. How do I ever measure up? Where do I even begin? Um, when it comes to the type of person that we should strive to be when we're in Christ or when we're living for, for Christ, it seems that the expectations are pretty high. Would you agree? Because there's a lot going on there. I mean, these, this is the, the abbreviation of everything I just read. No, bitterness, rage, rage anger, fighting, trash talk, immorality, uh, impurity, greed, foolish talking, or coarse joking. Right? Like, there's like all these things. And, and we've got to have compassion and thanksgiving, and patience, and humility, and gentleness. So this, right here, like this big pile of what's it that I just pulled out of the Bible, like we, this is where the battleground gets real for many of us. How do I manage all those little pieces? All those things that it seems that God wants from me. Here's the thing that I know that is a fact. There is an enemy. The enemy is real, okay? If there's a battle, there's an enemy. 
And the enemy is real, and, and we've, we've talked about the enemy in several ways. There's, of course, you know, the devil, like this supreme force of evil, and, and there's a lot of story behind that. And, and Jesus believed in the devil and spent time where the devil actually came to him. This is a real being in the spiritual realm. There's demonic forces, but some of the other enemies are the things that distract our attention and make us want to go this way and this way instead of towards God, our own selfish ambition. Sometimes the good things in life that are actually pretty okay, like those are all actually competing for time with God, competing for energy with God. And so in this pile of stuff is many times the biggest battleground we ever face. How do I move forward? And sometimes we get so overwhelmed. Let me tell you something I know about the enemy. The enemy's goal and the easiest way that the enemy can end win is if we just don't even try. If we just give up. I go watch my kids play soccer. And every now and then I'll see a player who just gets discouraged. And they just stop. And what happens when they just stop? The other team plays right past them, right? Not only do I think, do we not need to stop or give up, but I think that this is a battle that not only we can fight and we can win, but that Jesus has already fought and already given us the victory over. So don't give up. Don't quit. We're going to move through this rest of this book, and I want to take a look at this battleground. I think what we need to do is start to, to define some terms that kind of put some things in perspective. Uh, I'm going to take kind of a more academic approach, and then I'm going to take a more practical approach. So let's go to those two places first. The first place is to take a look at this, uh, this concept called obligations. Obligations. Okay, I'm going to use the word obligations, but I'm going to actually give you another word that's more biblical that you'll see in the Old Testament a lot. The word is laws. Another word is rules, okay? Laws and rules. A lot of times we see the things in the Bible and the things we feel like God wants from us as a list of laws, rules, or obligations that we need to live up to in order for God to then bless us or accept us or save us or forgive us, right? And we talk a lot at Adventure Church about, you know, God, God didn't establish a religion so that we could have a bunch of checklists that we can fill out and be perfect. Instead, he came down to us. Do you remember week one of Ephesians? The one of the little catchphrases from that week was that your identity is received. It's not what? Achieved. Your identity in God is, is received. It's not achieved. And so, so often when we see these lists, these obligations, these laws, these rules, we've got to remind ourselves, like, it's not about perfectly executing that. It's about accepting a gift that God has for us. And that was what week two was about, God's grace that came down and he gives us and he forgives us. But we have to move on from that. Um, so I want to take a second and I want to look to uh, these obligations and these laws. And I want to kind of make a couple of comparisons and Here's kind of a, a thing that I, I want to establish that I think maybe the more I think about, the more I believe it's true is this. Obligations, rules, and laws are only useful as long as they're convenient. Obligations, rules, and laws are only useful as long as they're convenient. I, I, convenient. I'm going to illustrate this and see if, if, if it's true. Uh, how many of you have ever played a game with someone and cheated? Anybody? You don't have to sell yourself out, but you also don't have to lie about it. Come on. Like I'm talking about like a board game. You're playing basketball. You stepped out of bounds, but nobody saw it, right? Like... Now, rules are great until they're inconvenient. I want them to be in bounds, and no one saw it, so I'm going to keep moving. That's actually like an unspoken rule in sports. Like what the rep didn't see, didn't happen, right? <laughs> now, I'm going to prove it any, even further. Uh, rules, laws, obligations, they're only useful as long as they're convenient. Has anyone here ever gotten a speeding ticket? 
It was inconvenient to go the speed limit right now. I had to be somewhere. Like, I had to go somewhere. Right now, this, this jerk in front of me, like, apparently he didn't know how to use a turn signal. I want to show him how angry I was, right? And so, like, we're freaking out. Why? Because right now, the law is inconvenient. Now, what's crazy about that is this is a law. This is a crime punishable by local government authorities. Like, they will, but what we do is we decide to say, if it's inconvenient, I'm, I'm willing to weigh the risk, right? Okay, I'll, I'll pay for a ticket. If I get caught, I'll, pay, I'll go to court, right? I'm not trying to throw anybody under the bus. I'm just trying to illustrate that obligations, rules, and laws are only useful as long as they're convenient. But here's, here's the problem. Our convenience will trump our obligations every time. Like, if you push me to the limit far enough and it gets inconvenient enough, I will break a rule. I will break a law. I will break an obligation. Am I right? I mean, this is just humanity. I'm not, like, trying to paint any picture of anybody's morality right here. So like when it says in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 3, Paul says, not even a hint of sexual immorality. It's a great rule until it's inconvenient. That we see this in how many times children are taught about immorality and sexual things. And, and parents, the way that they enforce this is, is not to talk about the moral obligation or the connection that it is with God. But they'll say things like, well, you might get an STD. You might get pregnant. You might get emotionally hurt. It might ruin your relationship. What we're trying to encourage our kids to know is that it's really inconvenient to do this. It's really inconvenient, so follow the rule. You follow me? Our, our convenience will always trump our obligations. But what if instead, when we look at the list of things that God encouraged us to do, instead of viewing them as obligations to live up to and be perfect, what if instead we viewed them as virtues to strive for because of what God has given us? Virtues rather than obligation. See, our convenience might trump our obligations, but convenience will never trump your character. When you decide this is the type of person I want to be, even if it's inconvenient, I'm going to do what I'm convicted to do. Your convenience will never trump your character. God's truth isn't for our convenience, is it? God's truth is for his glory. God's truth is to let us know who he is and how we can best relate with him and to bring us an opportunity to give him honor and it builds our character in the process. So, it's with that I want to take another look at this. Uh, I, I said I'd take a more academic look. Now I want to take a more practical look. Practical look. Um, you might have noticed a new guy in the band up here this morning. Did you see this guy? Uh, you recognize this fellow? The, the headless quarterback. Um, this, is, this is a jersey. Now, uh, it's obviously it's Cam Newton jersey, if you don't know. He's a quarterback for the Carolina Panthers. Uh, if you know me well, you know I'm a big Dallas Cowboys fan. Uh, but I want to make a point, and I know that when I open my mouth and say I'm a Cowboys fan, most people stop listening to me. And so... <laughs> I want to get, I'm also a Carolina boy. I was born and bred here in North Carolina, and, uh, and, and so I want to go to our, t- our home team, and they're doing great year- this year. They're undefeated. Uh, and I want to use this jersey as an illustration of something that can help us understand the difference between obligation and convenience versus virtue. And so, um, man, Cam Newton and the Panthers are killing it this year. This jersey uh, has two sides, okay? One side represents somebody, their name. It says Newton on the back. And uh, the thing is, that there are some really good players, and the only person they play for is the name on the back of their jersey. They want to get more cheers from the crowd. They want to get better stats. They want to make more money, right? There's two sides of this jersey. The other side of this jersey, it says one on the front, but it represents who? The Carolina Panthers. Everyone just has a number on the team. Now, the two things that are illustrated by this is that if we flip the jersey, uh, this side reflects convenience. This side reflects virtue. On the back side, we say, I'm going to play for me, whatever the cost. 
even if it's inconvenient, even if I got to steal the ball from somebody else or steal the limelight from somebody else, I'm going to play for the name on the back. On the front, it says, you know what? I'm on a team. I'm glad to be on a team. I've been gifted. I have received. You remember from week one, another little catchy phrase. You have been chosen. You have been adopted. And so from these two different sides of the jersey, I think we can kind of land on the same idea that I think Paul hits in Ephesians chapter 4 and chapter 5. Because when it comes to Christianity, the name on the back of the jersey is your name. The name on the front of the jersey is Jesus' name. So if you're a Christian, it's Jesus, and you're on his team. In fact, he has chosen you to be on his team. All the kids in the world lined up, and he was like, you want to be on my team? I'll let you be on my team. You want to be on my team? I'll let you be on my team. Come play for me. And in the process, he says, we always win. We always win. Even when you don't play your best game, you're still on my team. I still love you. The name on the front of Jersey is powerful. It's the name of Jesus. In the book of Acts, chapter 4, verse 12, this is something that says. It says, salvation is found in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. That's the name of Jesus. That's who he's talking about. So we stand on this spiritual battlefield of life. And we've got to realize it's not about measuring up. It's not about getting our order perfect every time. It's about saying, what can I do within my power to bring honor and glory to the name on the front of the jersey? To make the name of Jesus famous because he's already won the battle. The expectations of living for Jesus, they can be overwhelming. Uh, the, the fear of never measuring up. In fact, uh, if you're new here, or if you're new to Christianity, or you're just trying to get back into church and God, it can seem near impossible to see the list of things that God gives us and say, I don't know if I can measure up to that. But I just want to remind us, uh, we don't have to get every single point right for God to love us. The getting the every single point right thing, that was the SAT. This is God's grace. And it's important that we learn to live in that. I spent so much time on grace when we talked about the book of Ephesians because that is a theme throughout the book that Paul continually returns to because it was something the people in Ephesus were struggling with. And I think that it's something in our culture that we struggle with too. Accepting God's grace and forgiveness and then in turn giving it. Being graceful people. You know, uh, when you look at the book of Ephesians, we're going to go back to verse 1. I, I want to use this as kind of an anchor as we move towards the end of my talk today. Ephesians chapter 1, let's just go back there. He talks about being a prisoner for the Lord and then he says, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you've what? received you're in you're in if you're in Christ this morning you've received it you know we've got a couple kids my wife and I a son and a daughter and uh, something that we're constantly battling through is this elusive monster called discipline yeah like what do you do like both kids are different and like you want to make sure the punishment fits the crime but at the same time like they're, they're like outsmarting your punishments all the time you're like hey what, what do we do and here's the thing that we often forget is that our goal as parents ultimately is not just to keep the peace and keep the quiet and make sure that they don't break the, the neighbor's kitchen window like that's not the only goal of parenting our ultimate goal of parenting is that we will eventually raise young adults of good character it, would you agree? Like, that's a great goal in parenting. Not that they're perfect all the time now, but they can strive to a point where later they can be mature and live as a person of high character. And so all the time I'm sitting uh, with my, my kids, and I'll, I'll be with my, my son, and I'll say, buddy, listen, my job as a daddy is to help you to grow up to be a godly young man. Like, I tell them that all the time. And so after a punishment, after some discipline action, I always want to make a moment to come back and say, look, 
I've apologized for some things that I've done in disciplining my children. You know, I shouldn't have raised my voice like that. That wasn't the best way to do it. But you got to understand, like, I'm doing my best to try to help you become a person who, uh, who's godly. And I tell my daughter, I'm like, baby, I want you to be a godly young woman. Like, that is the goal of your life. Not just to be happy right now, but to strive to a place beyond that. And this is where you begin today. You begin, you begin by making good choices now, and then I can praise them for the good choices they make now. Why? Not because I want them to be the best kids and get the sticker on my car that says, my kid's better than your kid at the school. But instead to say, you made a good choice, great. And then if they make a bad choice, I can go, you know what? That wasn't the best choice. Let's talk through why that's not a good choice. And I think that when God gives us these lists of things, this same idea takes place. It's God's purpose is that we would develop a godly character and that we would learn the places that are good and the places that are bad and when you look uh, in verse 14 of chapter 4 we're going to kind of skip back to some of the verses that we missed the first time through this is one thing that he says and I think it's powerful for all of us that are trying to grow in God he says this he says then we will no longer be infants let's replace that with children you know we're not be infants children tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by every cunning and craftiness in the people and their deceitful scheming yeah, I feel so sad for people in life, and I see it all the time as I work for Some of you are in this demographic, so I'm not picking on you. I think you just realize it's real. People that are in the young adult, maybe college age, early to mid-20s range, and, and so much of your life is spent kind of hopping back and forth from philosophy to philosophy, from relationship to relationship, maybe from religion to religion, from happy moment to happy moment. It's this thing, and then what Paul calls it is being tossed by the waves of life. You're just tossed. You're like just this empty boat with no captain, and you're just sailing around all over the place, and what you're looking for is something to make you happy, something to make you feel full. I, I pegged the, the younger adults in the room, but man, you might be in your 40s or 50s and 60s and feel the same way. And, and God says that I don't want you to feel like an infant tossed around and, and being deceived by all these different schemings. But in verse 15, he says this, instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head. That is Christ. This goes back to something we talked about a few weeks ago when we were in the series. Um, let's just leave that verse on the screen for a minute. Uh, we were in the series uh, Rethinking Social or Rethink Social, and then last week we talked about the church. And you might remember we just, in the Bible, uh, the biblical writers often compare the church at, to a body. You know, everybody in the church has a role that they play in the body of, of God, right? And some of us are hands and some of us are feet, and we have different roles that we play. And then this is what makes the kingdom of God move forward. And it says that in this body and in this metaphor that Jesus is the head of that body. And so I love this verse because it says that in every respect we become the mature body of him who is the head. That is Christ. What one of us doesn't want our body to become a little bit more mature, right? A little place where we're striving to get our body to a certain condition. And what's awesome is that as Paul is teaching through these vices and these virtues, he's saying, my goal for you is that you will become the mature part of God's body that he's designed you to be. That you can live out the calling in your life the best that you can. And in that he says, we've got to speak truth in love. We talked about obligations, we talked about laws, we talked about rules, and we talked about God's truth is not for our convenience. And I think that what Paul's doing here, he says, listen, there, there's some truths you got to be aware of. Like, we can't just come to church and be like, you know what, just, just uh, hang your problems at the door, and this is the church totally, we're church for people who don't like church, we say that all the time. I say all the time, you, can, you don't have to check your questions at the door, you can bring all your brokenness and all your baggage in here, you can talk. But once we discover what God can do for us, God says, I want you to grow. Like, there are some things in your life that you need to start getting out of there. There are some sins in your life that are bringing you down, and they're stunting your growth, and you're not able to become fully mature. 
I want you to know this truth, but I want you to know that it is spoken in love. Speak truth in love. I, I want to show you another verse, and this is, this is from Jesus. John chapter 14, verse 6. I don't know if it's on the screen or not. Yeah, we have it up there. This is what Jesus says about himself. He says, I am the way and the what? Truth and the life, and no one comes to the Father except by me. We're going back to the name on the front of the jersey. It's powerful. Jesus says, listen, I'm it. I can connect you with the love and the forgiveness of God. And sometimes truth stings, but we want to speak truth in love. How do we turn the jersey around? How do we get to the place where we're living for the team or playing for virtue rather than for convenience? Uh, you know, earlier we read through a lot of Ephesians 4 and 5, and we saw all the virtues, and we saw the vices, and we checked in some other things. And what I want to do now is I want to take a second to figure out how to turn the jersey around. How every day we can say, am I playing for me or am I playing for him? And I think one place we can find some good uh, in, in information and some instruction on that is that near the end of the book of Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians 4.20. And this is what it says in Ephesians 4.20. He says, that, however, is not the way you learned. I, I, I want to I pause right there and say, like, everything I just said, like all the obligations, all the, uh, the checklists, all the feeling guilty because we can never measure it, like all that, I want to put that in a little, little capsule and hold it in front of you, and this is what Paul's talking about. He says, that, however, is not what you learned. You didn't learn to live like that. You didn't learn that that was okay. And you also learned that God's grace forgives you. But then verse 21, he said, when you heard about Christ and were taught in him in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus, you were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitude of your minds and to put on the new self, created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. How do we turn the jersey around? I want to give us kind of two little peg phrases that we can go to, write them down if you want to remember them, or I think it's pretty easy to memorize in the first place. And the first one is simply this. Maybe the first step for us to turn a jersey around is just simply put the jersey on. Put on Christ. So many of us play the game of religion. You could come to church, and we tell our friends that we go to church, and maybe on Facebook your status is like, I'm a Christian. But like, Jesus says, it's not just a, it's not a status, it's not like a notification that you can give people so they can know how to treat you. It's actually something that you put on. And when you put on something, you also have to take off whatever you had on before. Sometimes we need to be reminded that every day we got to put on Christ. We gotta put him on. We gotta decide this is what I'm gonna wear today. This is how I'm gonna carry myself. And it reminds me sometimes of when I we're ready to go somewhere, and we know we gotta be somewhere. We're running late, looking at the clock. I got my kids. They're supposed to be getting ready. I'm like, get your shoes on. Where are your shoes? Why can't you find your shoes? And I go back into my daughter's room, and she's standing at her mirror, and she's brushing her teeth, but she's not. She's actually singing into the toothbrush. And I'm like, baby, put the toothbrush down. Stop dancing in the mirror. Where are your shoes? We gotta go. Put them on. And I think sometimes we need to be reminded: put on Christ. Why are you struggling? Why is life hard? Why can't you figure out relationships? How many times does someone have to tell you, try putting on Christ? Like, try living it that way. And you might be in a situation right now where you're just visiting and you're just checking in church. And I've talked a lot on, on a pretty serious Christian note today. And you're that person who's like, that's not me. Maybe I came to the wrong place. I want to tell you this. Putting on Christ is one of the hardest parts. But it will absolutely transform your life. And I want to ask you a question, are there some things in your life, and that's not just to single you out if you're just here for the first time, but all of us, are there some things in our life you're like, man, if I could just take this part of me off, things would be so much simpler. He says we need to put off our old attitudes, our old way of thinking, and put on Christ. And one reason that we don't do that sometimes goes back to a word that we used earlier, convenience. 
It's convenient for me to wear Christ at church. But it's inconvenient for me to wear him at work. It's inconvenient when I'm really stressed out at home. But I want to tell you something. Once you put Christ on, he stays on and he helps to make you stronger. I love in the book of Galatians, uh, maybe you've never accepted Jesus. Maybe you've never become a Christian. In the book of Galatians, uh, chapter 3, it says that those of us who have been baptized in Christ have clothed ourselves with Christ. You like that picture? Like imagine you're going down the water and you come up with like this sweet new robe on, right? And it's an identifier for Jesus. And I think the difference is that sometimes he looks at us and when we're not wearing him, he's like, man, I'm trying to help you, but you're not even wearing me. Please put me on. But those of us who have tried to wear him, he's like, okay, I see that you're wearing me. Now, let me help you make that fit a little bit better. Put on Christ. I think we can turn the jersey around. But it starts with putting on the jersey in the first place. Um, the second part to honoring, uh, to, to, to turning the jersey around, and I think this goes for those of us who have definitely put on the jersey and we're just trying to make it fit better. <laughs> and I think to give you a phrase would be this, that we want to learn to honor his name. Honor his good name, honor the name of God. Sometimes we will wear, uh, wear the name of God and then we'll go around making it look like trash. I was hanging out with some friends this weekend at a Cub Scout camping trip, and I was saddened to hear about one of the guys who had been to a lot of church events, and he was like, you know, I just don't like doing church because I just feel like I keep on meeting people, and on one day they say one thing, and the other day they're hypocrites and they act the wrong way. You know, and, and I get it. We all have a hard time being perfect. That's what this whole message is all about. Like, sometimes you're not perfect. But what stinks is how often we just dishonor the name of God in the way that we act, in the way that we speak, in the way that we carry ourselves. In Ephesians chapter 5, verse 1, this will be the last verse we look at today. In chapter 5, verse 1, this is the instruction that Paul gives. He says, follow God's example as dearly loved children. If you're in Christ, if you've been called a child of God, if you've had that gift uh, given so you've received it and you don't have to achieve anything else, this is so awesome. He calls us his children. He says, you are my children. Follow God as his dearly loved children and uh, so we're talking about football this morning. I'm always talking about football. Uh, sorry, it's just, we're like halfway through the season, so there's a little bit more to endure. But as we talk about football this morning, I'm reminded of uh, a speech I heard this past year. Uh, Jerome Bettis was a, a football player for the Pittsburgh Steelers, uh, amazing football player who was just recently inducted into the NFL Hall of Fame. And I got to see him inducted at the beginning of the season this year, not in person, but on television, which is nearly as cool. Um, and he was giving a speech, and he was talking about all of his achievements, and there's all these accolades, and he's done all these things, and broken these records, and he's an excellent football player, great, great guy. But he's given this speech, and it really lines up, I think, with some of the things that we were saying today about playing for the name on the front of the jersey. Because one thing about Jerome Bettis, people would say, is that he was a man of good character when he played. And, and this is something he's interesting, because he, he gave mention of that. He said uh, he was going off into the world, he's about to go, I think, play in college, I think it was, and uh, he had some skills, and his, it was all going to his head. Recruiters were calling him, and he was going to make a lot of money. And he saw his future, his name in lights, and I'm going to play in the NFL. Like, he saw it. And his dad set him down before he left, and he said, listen, son, there's not much that I can give you that's more important to me than my good name. So don't mess it up. That's the instruction that his dad gave him before he went out. And he said every time he was in college, and he'd go to the parties, and he'd get invited to stuff. And he said, I did stuff that dishonored the name of my, my dad. But it would always pull me back when I would see my dad, I'd be reminded of my dad, and I would just say, man, this is not what my dad would want from me. And even in the NFL, and even in times when he got hot-headed, and even after the NFL, with all the fame and the glory, now he's standing, he's being inducted into the NFL Hall of Fame. And he said, in this moment, I've got to remind myself of the good name my dad gave me. His dad had passed away, and he said, you know, dad, I hope you hear me, because I'm doing my best to be a man of good character, because I want to live up to your good name. 
you know, our Father gives us a good name. He doesn't, I'm just, I'm curious, what team are you playing for? Or, or who are you looking to to make the calls in your life? What are the things that influenced you the most, the artists, the musicians, the television shows? And are those things that as they're pouring in are going to allow an overflow of your life that says, I'm bringing honor to the good name of my Father. It's a battle. But you don't have to stand at the menu and totally freak out because you can't measure up. The beauty of it all is that Jesus says, I will give you the jersey. Now go out and live a life of character. I encourage you this week to go back and read Ephesians chapter 4 and 5 and ask yourself, what are some things, what are some areas of my life where I can just start to hone up my own character so I can be something to live up to the calling that God has given me? Let's pray. God, we love you. Uh, I, I thank you for these books in the New Testament that, I mean, some of them, you know, I like stories. I like to talk about Moses or, or Elijah or Jesus. The stories are good because we can, we can live in them and we can feel like we're, we're meeting somebody. But then sometimes we arrive in these sections and it's more like a textbook. And, and, it's, and sometimes it might, you know, it might be boring or it might be confusing. Sometimes it might be overwhelming. But God, I thank you for someone like Paul. Paul struggled with this. He struggled with this measure up thing. He said, the things that I want to do, I can't do. The things that I don't want to do, I continue to do. He struggled with this, but thank you for letting him teach the Ephesians and also us about your grace. Help us to be people that don't play for convenience, but we play for virtue. And we bring honor to your good name. We thank you so much for Jesus, and we pray in his name. Amen.